Welcome to the latest edition of the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you and glad as always to have you along. Boy, we got a fun show for you today. I say that a lot. I tell you what, I mean a little more today. I always mean it, but today it's going to be a really fun one. I've got a guest who's going to be joining me here in about 10-15 minutes on the ESPN-UP phone line. That is former Northern Michigan head football coach Eric Holm. Now why is he joining the Sports Pen? Because one of the players that he coached while at Northern is heading to the Super Bowl. Robert Sala, defensive coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers, played for Coach Holm. He's going to join the show here in about 10, 15 minutes and give us an inside look at the San Francisco defensive coordinator, what he was like growing up, his upbringing, and how Northern football shaped him. That interview, again, coming up here shortly. I got some Northern Michigan audio, of course. It's Northern Michigan Tuesdays. We check in with the coaches throughout the year here on Tuesday afternoons. But I want to start with this, with a little bit of baseball. And, of course, we'll segue to some football here a little bit later on. But it's a big day for baseball. Last couple of weeks, the game has been somewhat marred because of cheating scandals, because of potential electronic buzzers, cheating regiments, what have you, that date all the way back to Tony La Russa, allegedly. Today is a day about celebration for baseball, because tonight we are going to induct new members to the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. Derek Jeter, most notably on this list, may become the second player in Major League history to be elected unanimously to the Hall of Fame. We know he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. We know he's getting in tonight. I mean, that is no question. Derek Jeter will be a Hall of Famer by the end of the night. The only question is, will it be unanimous? Will he be the second player behind only former Yankee teammate Mariano Rivera? That still shocks me how there's only been one unanimous player, maybe two by the end of the night, one unanimous player voted to baseball's Hall of Fame. Like, can you imagine looking at talent like Tony Gwynn and being the guy who said, no, Tony Gwynn doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame? Could you imagine being that guy? Like, what's your reasoning behind it? Are you just archaic in the sense that we've never had a unanimous vote getter before? Why start now? Why break tradition? I mean, are you really that archaic? I mean, what is the argument for saying Tony Gwynn, or for that matter, Derek Jeter tonight, should not be a unanimous pick to get into the Hall of Fame? Ryan Thibodeau, baseball analyst, he does a great job with this Hall of Fame tracker that he does. He is able to get access to people's ballots here early on and kind of give us an unofficial straw poll of how the night might look. And he's done a really good job with it this year, no exception. He's got about 213 ballots known to him. 213 voters have revealed how they're going to vote to him. And as of this morning, about 52% of the known voters All of them have voted yes on Derek Jeter. So in that 52% sample size straw poll, Derek Jeter is on everybody's ballot as a yes. This one might be the only thing that could rival it, though, as far as how interesting that is, or the most interesting thing of the night. Because Larry Walker, who's coming up on his last year of eligibility, is now at 84% in the early returns. 84% of the ballots that Ryan Thibodeau checked with, have Larry Walker as a Hall of Famer. So it looks like he might finally get in tonight, which I'm happy to see. I've always liked Larry Walker. You need 75% of the vote to get in. Larry Walker unofficially with 84, based on Ryan Thibodeau's early returns. And then Kurt Schilling is the other one from this class who right now would make it 
if the numbers hold that Thibodeau has given us. Kurt Schilling has 78% of the vote. So about that, we might induct three guys tonight if Thibodeau's numbers hold. And again, he's got unofficial straw poll-like results from 52% of the voters. Derek Jeter is 100%, Larry Walker 84 and Kurt Schilling 78 And if there's anything that could rival Jeter or Walker getting in, this might be that story. And it's that of guys like Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, guys who have been vying for the Hall of Fame for years, but they have that black mark on their resume, steroids. For everything right they've done in baseball, everything good that they've done, everything memorable and noteworthy, it's always going to have that steroid asterisk next to it. Well, Barry Bonds is right on the doorstep, according to Thibodeau. Again, 52% of the vote is known. Barry Bonds has 72% of that vote. You need 75. Barry Bonds at 72 in Thibodeau's unofficial straw poll. Roger Clemens at 71. They're right there. Those two are right on the threshold of getting voted in without needing the Veterans Committee. And to give you some perspective, other guys that are up for the nomination tonight, Omar Vizquel at 49%, the unofficial return, Scott Rowland 47 Gary Sheffield 37 I think we're probably going to get three at max five. But the guys that could sneak in are controversial, if not polarizing figures, with Bonds and Clemens and how it relates to steroids. And I tell you what, I'm excited to see the precedent if they do get in. Because what does that mean for Pete Rose? Because baseball has that kind of, you know, it's got that aura around it that even if you have a lifetime ban, maybe if you pass away, then they lift that and put you in posthumously. That's what I think is going to happen for Pete Rose, unless Bonds and Clemens get in tonight on their own merit. Then that narrative can change. That's not official that that lifetime ban is lifted after you pass away because Shoeless Joe Jackson is still out of the Hall of Fame. But that's kind of that unspoken rule which baseball is famous for, having unspoken rules. In the interest of time, I want to transition to football just a little bit because I don't know when the phone call is going to come from Eric Holm. I want to talk a little bit about football. Before we get to Super Bowl Sunday and some audio that I have for you, this Pro Bowl that we have coming up this weekend might be worth the watch it's weird to say it might be worth it and i'm not talking about for the fact that kirk cousins was added to the roster this morning replacing aaron Rodgers, but i'm talking about the rule changes coming up this weekend they're learning from the xfl which by the way kicks off in less than three weeks they're learning from the xfl and the pro bowl is going to try a gimmick this weekend they're going to try it at the pro bowl see if this works out And the competition committee will consider adding it to everyday NFL. This is what happens. It is in relation to a successful field goal or point after attempt. The scoring team will have the following options. I'm reading directly from the Pro Bowl in their statement. Team A may elect to give Team B the ball at Team B's 25-yard line, first and 10, beginning a new series of downs. So meaning... If you convert a successful field goal or PAT, you have the option to not kick off and just give the other team the ball at the 25-yard line first and 10. Option two, though, they may elect to take the ball at their own 25-yard line, and they would have one play to convert 15 yards. If they get it, they keep possession of the football. If they don't get it, then the other team gets the ball 
where the ball was stopped, where the play ended. So that's what the Pro Bowl is going to be implementing this weekend. I don't know that I like that in the NFL level, but you know what? I'm going to be open-minded. I feel like I'm an open-minded guy. I'm going to give it a look this weekend. They're taking something from the XFL. They're trying to gimmick this week. And so to reiterate, after a successful field goal or PAT this weekend at the Pro Bowl, the team may either forego the kickoff and give their opponent the ball at their own 25-yard line, or they can attempt essentially a 4th and 15. You have one down to gain 15 yards, and if you do, then you get possession of the football. You keep possession. If you don't get it, the other team gets the ball where they stopped you. Love it or not, that's what's going to go on in the Pro Bowl this weekend. I want to pivot to the Super Bowl here before we come up on our first break and get Eric Holm on the phone line. Because Andy Reid is at a crossroads in his legacy. If you heard Will Kane, he says Andy Reid, with a win this weekend, will surpass Peyton, Carroll, Harbaugh, Tomlin, all guys who have one ring. Andy Reid could get his one ring this weekend. So why does he pass them? Well, he's got the wins. He's got the regular season success. He's got the history of doing it multiple places, of getting into the postseason, having deep runs. Ultimately, though, he's come up short in his trips to the Super Bowl. Just one trip to the Super Bowl this weekend will be his second. Yet Will Kane believes that Andy Reid, with one win this weekend, already has the wins as a top 10 coach all-time in terms of wins that he surpasses everybody else with one Super Bowl ring. The Harbaugh's. The Tomlins, the Carrolls, the Paytons, all the above. I tell you what, you think about this Chiefs team, is there a reason for Andy Reid not to win this weekend? Andy Reid is at such a pivotal crossroads as a head coach this weekend, because if he wins, I think Will Kane is right. I think Andy Reid does go above all those coaches with one Super Bowl ring. He's got the wins to do so, he's done it longer, and he's been more of an innovator. A lot longer than anybody else. He adapts to the NFL. The NFL has not grown past him. He's grown with the NFL. And he's adjusted his game plan, which is so hard to do. And you see so many coaches age out of football because they can't keep up. That's never been Andy Reid's problem. So I agree with Will. If Andy Reid wins this weekend, he is automatically above everyone else with one ring. Maybe even guys with multiple rings. Maybe. But if they lose this weekend... What does that say about Andy Reid's legacy? If Andy Reid loses with this Chiefs team, they are elite at every skill position, except maybe running back, which the Niners are showing us that they don't need to be. They are elite at every position to be the best offense in football. And if Andy Reid doesn't win a Super Bowl with this group this weekend, then what does that say about his legacy? Andy Reid is at such a pivotal crossroads this weekend because he could end up being a sure Hall of Famer and one of the greatest coaches of all time. With one Super Bowl ring, he can do that. Or he could fall to 0-2 in the Super Bowl with maybe the most talented roster of how long? At least most talented offense of how long? Of this decade? Of this millennium? It is insane the amount of talent they have on that roster. And if Andy Reid doesn't win a Super Bowl this weekend with them, how big of an indictment is that against him and his coaching career? Even if he gets back the following year or he wins later on in his career, how big of an indictment is that against Andy Reid? Because this Super Bowl window, as we know it, isn't open very long. 
because Pat Mahomes is going to get paid this offseason. He is going to get close to a $40 million contract. How are you going to afford everybody else? Everybody else that makes that team so good. I'm not saying Andy Reid and Pat Mahomes don't do that. Don't get me wrong. But having Kelsey, that offensive line, Tariq Hill, Nicole Hardman, boy, that team is just made to win a Super Bowl. And if Andy Reid doesn't do it this year, you start to have those conversations if you're the Chiefs. Will he ever? Now, I don't want to say that the Chiefs are here solely because of the role players, not because of Pat Mahomes or Andy Reid. Because here's that sound I wanted to play for you earlier. Stephen A. Smith, as you know, is no longer on ESPN Radio. Friday was his last show. Yesterday, first take, your take with Jason Fitz debuted during the 1-3 to time slot. Stephen A. is now on TV full-time with a few guest appearances on radio shows. But he started his full-time TV gig with a bang yesterday. He's now on first take full-time, and yesterday, well, day one, might as well make a splash, him and Dan Orlovsky got into it over Patrick Mahomes. And I really hope, I truly hope for Stephen A. that this take isn't something that he personally believes, that he's just trying to argue with Orlovsky, because Max and Molly in the background are just trying not to lose it. Take a listen. Are his weapons the reason why Patrick Mahomes is so great? Of course it is. What are y'all, are you kidding me? Let me ask y'all a question. What? Let me ask you a question. Goodness. And it's very, very ordinary. It's very, very fundamental to me. This is how I feel about it. If receivers couldn't get separation and get open, would Patrick Mahomes look as great? Yes. How? He would drift in the pocket like he does and allow them to get separation? No, he would not. My answer is no, he wouldn't look as, he wouldn't look as great. There we go. That's what I'm saying. No, again, Dan, be careful. I am not questioning whether or not Patrick Mahomes is great. I understand the brother is great. Just answer this for me. Tell me a time in the modern era where you've seen one team have these weapons on offense together. I'm talking about together. Yeah, last, together. last year with Ooh. the Rams when they had Robert Woods mm-hmm. and Sammy Watkins. The Steelers. And oh, the Steelers had Roethlisberger with Antonio Two years ago with the Eagles. The greatest show on turf. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. I'm looking at a guy like Patrick Mahomes and I'm saying, excuse me, I'm not denying the fact that you are great. The flip side to it is that as great as you look, it has also helped because unlike basketball, you can't just put the ball in the hole. You Patrick Mahomes, you need those brothers to get open. You need them to run the right routes. You need them to be as effective as they've been. And I'm telling you right this these brothers are elite they're special and that helps along the way now do i think that alex smith for example could have done what patrick mahomes has done in terms of numbers not necessarily so but do i think that alex smith could have gone to the super bowl this year with that crew Yes, I do. No, I don't. Yes, I do. I yes, don't. I do. Steven a. Yes, Stop. I do. Yes, I do. They were down 24 to nothing. I tell you what, after last year's Hunter Henry episode, I really hope Stephen A. was just playing a part there because Alex Smith would not have come back from 24 nothing in the playoffs. I'm mean, No, nothing against Alex Smith. I love him, but Pat Mahomes is just that special of a talent. You plug Pat Mahomes in there, now the Chiefs are getting to the Super Bowl. Now they're getting to the AFC Championship game. They weren't doing that with Alex Smith. And I get the talent around him is better but there's no denying what Pat Mahomes is right now because right now he is the most talented quarterback in the NFL. Let's take our first time out because my guest is ready. Coach Eric Holm is going to join me next. We'll talk Robert Sala next on ESPN-UP. 
Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad that you're along. Joined in the ESPN-UP phone line by Eric Holm, former Northern Michigan head football coach. He coached Robert Sala, current 49ers defensive coordinator, while he was a Wildcat. Coach, first and foremost, thank you for joining us. Appreciate you taking the time. Give us a little idea about who Robert was when he was a Wildcat and through any interactions you might have had with him since. Well, Robert, um, you know, played tight end for us and was a good tight end. He was really a true tight end. You know, these days, I don't know how many of those guys exist, uh, guys that could both block and catch. Uh, he was big enough to block and had very good hands. Um, was a very knowledgeable player. Um, I haven't had that much contact with him for a while. I got out of coaching. We kind of went our separate ways. Uh, we've had some mutual friends where we've had contacts uh, over the years. But, uh, you know, he was a you know, great kid. Uh, you know, I'm sure everybody that uh, talks about him and when you see him on TV, that, that's who he is. Um, you know, as a player, he was very well respected. He was a great teammate. Um, I, I tell people he had, he had a great soul. He, he really does. And I think I attribute a lot to his family. Uh, you know, he had a big family, several sisters. His dad was very involved. His dad, um, you know, played college football and I think had some connections with the NFL too. And Robert was just, uh, it, not so much his, his playing, but more of who he was as a person, I think, uh, is reflected in what you see today. Coach, how much pride does it fill you to see a former player go on and do stuff like Robert is? It's it's fantastic. You know, anytime your players, no matter what it is, right? I mean, obviously the NFL is a very uh, um, obvious and ostentatious place to be, but but uh, we know when your guys do well in whatever their career field, um, you know, you're you're happy about it. But uh, this one's on a national stage, you know, and everybody's seeing it and. And not only that, I mean, just the, the level of success and the level of winning and, and the style and the way they everyone talks about him, um, it's just it's fantastic. And I'm just so happy for him and, and happy for his family because he is a family man, I know. And he has, uh, you know, several kids now. He just, I think, a reflection of his, his love of family. When you were coaching him, could you tell that he was destined for some kind of coaching leadership role? Did he ever tell you that he aspired for something like that? Uh, absolutely had an interest in coaching. Um, you know, he's on the offensive side, so I, I, I can't sit here and say I pictured him as being the defensive coordinator uh, with the 49ers, you know. But, but uh, everybody, you know, moves along in their career and change and evolve, and, um, you know, and, and obviously he's going to be a head coach, not just, not just a Super Bowl NFL uh, defensive coordinator, but uh, obviously he was close this year, and he's going to be a head coach before, before long. So, no, not necessarily, but he absolutely had expressed an interest in coaching. Uh, again, I think that goes back to his family and his family ties and his dad's career. And Even though his dad didn't coach, but, but his interest in football, um, you know, you, you, you knew there was a deep interest there. Did you recruit Robert, or did he come to you? I wish I could remember. <laughs> um, but, we, we no, I mean, he was not a walk-on. We recruited him. I'm trying to think of who the exact person was that, that uh, recruited him individually, but uh, no, we recruited him. We offered him scholarship. Uh, we thought highly of him, and uh, you know, we we recruited him to play at Northern. Away from football, what was Robert like? 
I, I consider him a kind of a, a gentle soul. Um, he was friendly with everyone. He got along with everyone. Um, he was interested. Um, he, he spoke politely and graciously to people. And, and, you, and you can see it in the way that his players and, and others react to him there, right? I mean, uh, just the, the way they speak of him. You hear Richard Sherman, who hasn't always been a coach lover, I don't think, um, uh, but looked at things a certain way, you know, talked so glowingly about him, you know, a veteran. I hear Bosa talk glowingly of Robert. You see how the players and, and the other coaches react to him. Um, that's not a terrible surprise there. He's just, like I said, he has a, a, a good soul, and he always did, and you could see that all the way along. Coach, you look at the way that Robert schemes that 49er defense. No question how smart he is. Was he able to bring that same mental sharpness as a player when you coached him? Yes. You know, he understood the game. And like I say, uh, uh, tight end is a position that you kind of got to know a little bit of everything. You know, you have to be able to block like an offensive lineman and know the offensive line schemes. You have to be able to run pass routes uh, like a receiver and understand passing schemes. So you you see a little bit of everything from that standpoint. I, uh, honestly, a good a friend of mine is Greg Williams, who's the defensive coordinator for the New York Jets. He was a teammate of mine at here at Northeast Missouri State, now Truman State, and he always has attributed his understanding of having been a quarterback and having grown up on the offensive side and being able to look at things from that perspective. And uh, I have no doubt that that's aided Robert, his understanding of offensive play has aided him as a defensive coach. Coach, you talk about how Robert was an upstanding guy growing up, just a good soul. If you try to find something about him on the internet, you're not going to find much. He talks openly about how proud he is of his Arab heritage, talks about the amazing story of his brother David, who was in the South Tower during the September 11th attacks but survived, and how he takes pride in trying to pave a way for young Arab Americans like he was growing up. Other than that, though, he's a very private individual. Was that kind of the way he was when you coached him? Um, just to some degree, although again, he, he's just so family oriented. Uh, uh, his dad and their family, uh, I, I believe it was a Wayne State game that we were down there and his dad fed the, the whole team. Their, their family fed the team. And it wasn't just Robert. I mean, his, his mom and dad and his, and his sisters were there. Uh, I don't remember if his brother was there at that time, but, um, you know, they, they were all involved. So I, I know he's just, He's been a nose to the grindstone. He's not. He was not a guy that would call attention to himself. Um, he, he he wasn't a jump up and down and look at me kind of guy. He was a good teammate. He was a good team player. He did what the coaches asked to, of him. He tried to do everything to the best of his ability. And uh, I, it seems to me like those qualities are what's kind of paying off for him now. He's just learned, done what he was supposed to. Now, my understanding is Pete Carroll is really the guy that turned his career and gave him an opportunity and, and saw something in, in Robert and, uh, and learning at kind of the footsteps of Pete Carroll, who's a kind of a legend in coaching now, uh, was really the, the big break. And, um, you know, there's a lot of coaches out there. There's a lot of guys who, you know, can, would have had the opportunity. I'm just so happy for him. I'm happy these days that young coaches and coaches maybe who didn't necessarily play in the NFL or, or maybe don't have a family connection or something like that or get the type of opportunities that Robert's getting. Well, you mentioned Pete Carroll, and Robert won a Super Bowl ring with him as part of his staff during Super Bowl Forty-Eight. How different does it feel for you watching a former player go back to the Super Bowl as compared to the first time around? 
Well, <laughs> this one's funny because I'm from Kansas City. I, I have chief season <laughs> tickets. Um, I have. I was on the field as a ten year old. Uh, you know, at, at the old Municipal Stadium before they even built Arrowhead. So I, I have. I'm kind of torn. You know, uh, I'm such a Chiefs fan, and I was at the game. Um, you know, Sunday, and and uh, I'm so happy for the Chiefs and all their organization to be back. But it absolutely gives me that even that much more interest to have something like this happen again. Anytime your your players have success in their life you know after their college career you're happy in this case it happens to be in football but um i i look at him you know he's an ageless wonder he looks like he could play today he looks so much like he did when he was a young guy that uh, you know i i see him just as i see him saw him you know 20 some years ago uh you know maybe longer than that now but uh you know over 20 but anyway uh he just looks like the same guy so uh, absolutely, it just gives me that much more interest and pride and intrigue in, in this game. Coach, at what point did you start realizing what kind of potential Robert has beyond football? At what point did you maybe not necessarily stop seeing him as a football player, but really started noticing the potential he had? Well, I, I, honestly, I, I think you could see that right from the start, uh, it, it, right from the beginning. Again, he, he was he was a guy that uh, always applied himself, like I said earlier, just the way he went about his business, the way he treated others, um, the way he listened, uh, how coachable he was. Um, it didn't matter whether, at, and honestly at the time when he was playing, we didn't know that he necessarily wanted to coach, but he, he was just one of those guys that you can just tell was going to do the right thing and was going to be fine. Some guys you worry about more or some guys are kind of lost out there. Robert never appeared that way. He just always appeared to kind of know what he was doing, know what he wanted to do, and knew how to treat people. And uh, I think that's manifested itself in, in the opportunity he has now. Coach, do you have any favorite memory coaching Robert? Anything like that? Well, you know, somebody else asked me that. And I hate to say it; it's kind of it, it's not a negative one necessarily, but but maybe says a little bit about him. We when I was there, you know, I came from from Truman State, from Northeast Missouri State in the old days, and uh, we play. We came down here to play, and it was. I've looked it up. It was 95 degrees that day here in Kirksville. We had left the UP, and we'd been practicing 70-degree weather. I remember we got back that night. It was drizzling and 59 degrees when we got to K.I. Sawyer. But it was 95 degrees and high humidity down here in Kirksville. And um, um, Robert, Robert got dehydrated. We had, to, we had to carry him off the field, and, and he, he, had, he was dehydrated. And part of that was just because he played so hard. You know, he, just, he played hard. He kind of ran himself into, you know, being depleted. But the thing afterwards, I just remember him, you know, he didn't complain. He didn't point fingers. He didn't blame anybody. You know, it just was a thing that he had played hard, and it was a really brutal day. These days, I'm not even sure that they would have played the game or they would have delayed the game. We certainly wouldn't have practiced. Uh, and today, we would never even have, we wouldn't have practiced in the type of weather conditions, and we probably shouldn't have been playing that day either. The truth be told, but those days, that's just what you did. And I just remember him, um, you know, recovering, going about his business, did what he had to do to get back in there, and, and he did. And then there was never, there wasn't ever any consternation about it. Um, it was just, hey, here's the deal. You know, I'm going to do what I have to do to get back in there, and uh, you know, there just wasn't any drama. There wasn't any drama around it. It, just, it was just him going about his business and, and doing what he had to do. 
Eric Holm, former Northern Michigan head football coach, coach of Robert Sala when he was a Wildcat. Appreciate the time, Coach. That was great stuff. Have fun watching Super Bowl Sunday, as conflicted as it might be. Well, um, yeah, it's great. Like I said, I'm, I'm proud and, and proud of him. And um, say hello to all my friends there in, in Marquette and the UP. Uh, we loved our time there, and uh, I'm looking forward to the game as well. Let's take a time out. Northern Michigan Tuesdays after this on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad that you're along as always. we got a lot to get into in the back half of our show, including Northern Michigan Tuesdays. I've got some NMU audio for you. Hockey and basketball will get you caught up on those programs. But first... Your Sports Center update. Really sad news regarding Atlanta Hawks forward Chandler Parsons. He was driving home from practice last Wednesday. His car was struck by a drunk driver. The team initially announced that Parsons suffered whiplash and a concussion. We're now learning that Parsons suffered a brain injury, a disc herniation, and a torn labrum. The injury is much more serious than previously reported. Send up some thoughts and prayers for Chandler Parsons. His basketball career and life after basketball, whenever that will come, is in serious jeopardy. College football news from the transfer portal. Former Florida quarterback Felipe Franks is headed to Arkansas. Meanwhile, former Houston quarterback Derek King will transfer to Miami. And finally, a Florida woman is selling a chicken tender shaped like a manatee for $5,000. Not Florida man, it's Florida woman this time. This Tampa Bay woman was enjoying her order of chicken tenders from Culver's when she noticed one was shaped like a manatee. The ad for the chicken tender was posted to Facebook Marketplace under Antiques and Collectibles, and its condition was described in the listing as new. She's asking for $5,000 for a manatee-shaped chicken tender. And someone's going to do it! Someone's going to buy it! Last month, did you guys see that? Last month in Miami, someone duct-taped a banana to a wall called it art it sold somebody's gonna buy this manatee shaped chicken tender i didn't personally think it looked like a manatee i don't look at this chicken tender and think manatee i guess if you point it out to me i can kind of see the resemblance i don't know look it up for yourself if you have the time this manatee shaped chicken tender you tell me whether you think that looks like a manatee or not either or that's your sports center update and that woman's about to get five thousand dollars for a chicken tender I might just go to Culver's right now, find the weirdest looking cheese curd oil. Like you always get some weird oblong shapes or whatever, you know. What It's not a Culver's thing. I mean, it, you can do this with any restaurant. But if I go to Culver's, for example, I get my cheese curds and one of them is in a weird, unique shape. I mean, why not? Why not? I can post it on Facebook and somebody's going to buy it. I'll be rich. Well, maybe not off a chicken nugget. Maybe not $5,000. But you do that enough, they start racking up. That is your Sports Center update. Glad that you're along per usual. Northern Michigan Tuesdays here in ESPN UP. We have our weekly press conferences on campus and we talk with coaches, get their thoughts on where their team is. Let's start with hockey because the Wildcats went over to Cornell this weekend. They took on the top ranked team in the country, played them to a Friday night tie, then a Saturday night loss three to one. Coach Grampatoni summed up the weekend. Here's what we talked about on, on Saturday. Um, you know, and I, and I brought us back to November 6th of 2017. We played Mankato at home. Um, it was early in my first kind of time here as a coach, and uh, we lost the game. 
Um, shots were even in the game, lost the game. I think they had an empty net or lost it kind of 2 nothing. And as the guys walked into the rink on Saturday, I could hear them. And um, they, I didn't hear the disappointment in them. I just, it seemed like, oh, we played good. Um, you know, and then and you, you fast forward two years and you go on the road. And Mankato was good, then they weren't as good as they are now. You go on the road and you play the number one team in the country and um, you tie. And there was major disappointment in that game on Friday because we felt like um, we had a, we had that game won. And, um, you know, power play let us down all weekend. Um, and then you go into Saturday and, um, you know, now you have an opportunity to have a great weekend. If you could find a way to win on Saturday, you could have a great weekend. And against a team that averages seven shots against in the first period, we had 17. And just couldn't get more than one by them. You know, and um, they scored on their chances and we didn't. But all the things that I think I was talking about when we were winning and not playing well that are going to get you, you know, it was almost the reverse effect. All the things that, you know, the, all the statistical categories that we keep as coaches and what the eye test tells you and um, said we should have won. So um, you take a lot. I mean, you take some solace in that. You know, I don't want to undersell the fact that, that at the end of the day you play to win. And, and we didn't get that done. But um, over the last probably seven of our last eight games, I think we've done the things required to be successful. Um, you know, and hopefully that's a sign of things to come. There are a few different guys getting on the score sheet. Normally haven't been there. Coach talked about having some new guys joining the fray. Um, you could, they scored, yep, for sure. Um, but you need your top guys in games like that. You know, and... Uh, Friday night, neither team's top players were on the on the score sheet. Um, Saturday night, their top guys were parts of all three goals and um, in the power play. You know, at the end of the day, those things kind of go hand in hand. And and I don't think they didn't play hard. And I, I'm not I'm not questioning that one bit. Um, it's just when you get a chance to execute, you have to execute whether it's to you know get a lead, keep a lead, uh, or extend a lead. Well, the power play continued to struggle for Northern this weekend. Coach was asked, are you getting any more clarity on that? Are you able to pinpoint why? We have been moving people in and out because of, um, you know, new additions. I think that might be part of it. Um, you know, the Cornell does a nice job. You know, that, that might be part of it. Um, but sometimes on a, on a power play, it's human nature to relax a little bit. Because you think, okay, I got a little more time, and and I want to make sure I make the right perfect play, and um, you know, I think that's crept into us a little bit, you know, and um, maybe we're trying to pass the puck in the net more than we are just taking what the game gives us, and and um, you know, trying to be a hockey player. And um, this week we're going to make some more adjustments and and try some different guys, but uh, it has to get going because it's it's been our Achilles heel lately. Northern did move up to number 15 in this week's polls despite the loss. Coach was asked, do you pay attention to that at all this time of year? Yeah, the only poll that matters is the one at the end of the year. You know, are you one of the 16 teams playing in the tournament? You know, that's um, it's great to be recognized, you know, and, and I think for the players, um, you know, it's nice to, to know that people are paying attention to what you're doing, but, um, you know, it, it, it's January. You know, matters in March. Nolan Kent has since cemented himself as the team's number one goalie. Coach liked what he saw out of him this weekend. Really good on Friday. 
he made some really important saves Friday. Um, on Saturday, the first one, I'm sure he'd like to have back. Um, and maybe the third one, it was a rebound that we, we didn't do our job underneath boxing out, but I, I'm sure he would have liked to put that rebound somewhere else. But um, T was so good on Friday. You know, both goalies were so good. It was uh, both games. I mean, they, they were playoff NCAA tournament type games, and um, neither team gave an inch, neither goalie gave an inch. Uh, it was just really good hockey. So now a trip to Alaska to take on the University of Alaska Fairbanks, a team that surprised a lot of people this year. They're ahead of Northern in the standings entering play this weekend. I think probably the first time we played them, there was um, surprise is the wrong word, but um, going into the year, I, nobody had them picked to be a, a team competing for home ice. Um, they've done a great job. Uh, they compete hard. They're stingy. Um, you know, their last four games, they've only given up four goals. They've, um, they're have they 3-0-1. They're 10-2 when they score first. Their goalies are playing good. Um, they don't like we, there's no, we can't have a feeling out process. We can't have a, um, you know, we're tired because we're in Alaska. You know, these are important points. And, and as of today, on the standings, they're ahead of us. And, and we have to come back with them in the rearview mirror and keep them there. Coach talked about the locker room and where that is right now. It's hard because we're at a weird, you know, we've had a weird stretch since Christmas. Um, go to Bowling Green, you know, play very well, sweep a team that very rarely gets swept at home, uh, long bus ride home, then maybe a little emotional hangover against Alaska, but you get the job done. And then an absolute battle against Cornell, um, travel again. You know, we had typically I would have taken Monday off, but um, we're traveling tomorrow, so you know that would that negates a day of practice. So, um, you know, I just I hope we have energy. You know, that's that's my concern is that you know we we make sure that we manage ourselves to to that we get up there. We're not making an excuse because we played hard last weekend and we traveled, and because um, nobody cares. You know, at the end of the day, you're there to play a game, and you know that's. As of today, that's my biggest concern is managing their energy. That's Northern Michigan hockey head coach Grant Patoni. His team ranked 15th in the country. They get set to visit Alaska Fairbanks this weekend. Let's take another time out. When we come back, I've got some Northern Michigan basketball audio for you. We'll talk with both teams' head coaches. All that more as we wind down here in ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. If you missed any of today's show, get caught up with The Sports Pen On Demand. Get that in our podcast on our free mobile app from the Apple Live Store or Google Play or look up ESPNUP.com and check out the On Demand there. A couple of things to remind you on coming up this evening. We've got Westwood Patriot Basketball right here on ESPNUP. I'll be there with the play-by-play as Escanaba comes to town. The boys will step out of conference play for what should be a fun one and certainly was down there last year. Pre-game right around 7 o'clock, tip-off set for just about 7.15 Eastern time. My hope that you join us. If not, maybe you're out at the 133rd Annual Ishpeming Ski Club Tournament. I tell you what, the job that Gary Rasmussen and those guys have done there, keeping that tournament going, the longest-running tournament in America, it's going to be a great night out there at Ishpeming. Maybe you're out there and you've got your ESPN-UP app on the phone here and you've got your headset and you're dialed into Westwood Patriot basketball while you're enjoying the festivities out at Suicide Run. 
Either or, this is what we have for you before we sign off. We got Northern Michigan basketball audio. Let's start on the women's side of things. Head coach Troy Matson sat down to talk with us, starting with his dominant win over Lake State. I, I thought the ball really moved well uh, during the game. Uh, you know, w- when you're playing the better teams and you got new people out there and freshmen out there, you know, sometimes the ball doesn't get to where it needs to get as quickly as you'd like to, but uh, I thought the ball moved extremely well. I told the girls after watching film yesterday, I said, you know, if I could imagine what our offense would look like, it would look like this every single night, you know, but, the, you know, obviously the competition level makes you do things, you know, differently. Um, but, uh, no, I was proud of that. Uh, I thought we did a great job on the offensive glass in the second half. We, we've been afraid to go to the offensive glass. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. We, we have very little room for error. And when we're playing teams that want to fast break us, like Ferris State and Wayne State and Ashland and and uh, you know and, and and Parkside, you know we we can't give up baskets in transition and think that we're going to be able to counter that by coming down and finishing plays all the time because we just don't have that room for error. So we've been running back on defense, and one of our strengths is actually probably an offensive rebound. But maybe the two or four points you get out of offensive rebound, you might give up six or eight on the other end, and we just can't afford to do that. So um, Lake Superior is a team that doesn't fast break. I, I told them at halftime I wasn't happy with uh, We had talked about it all week. And, you know, get to the offensive glass, and we really dominated the offensive glass in the second half and uh, didn't give them any. You know, we got a lot of second-chance opportunities and kept possessions alive. And so that was uh, encouraging also. But, uh, yeah, we take those types of things away from it. And, you know, and try to get uh, try to improve for the next game. Coach talked about the mood in the locker room when this team takes control of a game and they know it. It said a lot because Aaron called it. You know, and, and I'm not going to sit here and lie. Me and Aaron have had a rift going on between the two of us for two years. You know, about playing time and you know, and how she goes about her business. And we met many, many times over the summer and talked on the phone a lot when she was at home. You know, about her coming here and being the leader that she needs to be. And then all of a sudden, you know, she's been stepping up ever since. You know, even in the September, October, she was the leader and she has that power in her, you know, but she was using it in a negative way compared to a positive way the last couple of years. And uh, she stepped up on Thursday night after the game and said we weren't getting the job done and coming out at halftime and got everybody on board and uh, the girls were all in and, you know, it makes a big difference, especially when you're going to go on the road for four games. Uh, you, you need to be uh, you need to be one group and, and and if you're not and if people are afraid and they're going off on their own direction and not stepping up and being leaders you're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble. So now another tough week coming up. You've got Grand Valley and then you've got a pesky Davenport squad. Coach gave us his thoughts. Well, I'm going to start with Davenport. You know we got we got to go there. They, you know they haven't won a game in the league and they're playing a couple of freshmen, but they still have a very good player in Falkenberg. She's She's a she's a big young lady and uh, she takes up a lot of space inside and she's tough to score around and and they're going to sit in a two three matchup zone all night long and and if you don't make shots you're going to get yourself in trouble and and obviously we don't want to do that so um, so it's going to be a little bit of a challenge there you know uh, making sure that we're making shots you got to make shots when you're on the road and if they're sitting in a zone all night long it's gonna you know you got to step up and make them. Coach also addressed the mood in the locker room now as we get deeper into January. You, know, you recruit good people, you get good people. Um, you know, I think we've recruited good people here, good students, good people, and that's what you get. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say that it's always uh, a perfect uh, world in there, but uh, you know, at least when you talk to them and talk about situations, they respond. You know, sometimes you talk to people and they don't respond ever. Uh, they respond and they're all on board, so we're all ready to go. 
That's Northern Michigan women's basketball head coach Troy Matson. his team getting set to take on Grand Valley and Davenport this week. On the men's side of things, Matt Mackerzak joined us, and he gave us his thoughts on the weekend, especially one where his team played such great defense. Yeah, that was our best weekend of the season defensively for sure, and um, I thought it was pretty consistent for both games, which um, was nice to have happen. So, yeah, definitely that's been the most positive thing, and the offense has been kind of a work in progress, but the defense has been relatively consistent. Coach talked about guys like Miles Howard and Sam Taylor and how they've embraced their leadership roles. Yeah, I think those. I think the upperclassmen this year. It's been, uh, you know, we've talked about this a bunch. But when the new coach comes in, there's always different ways you can go. And these guys have done such a good job about just embracing everything from day one. And they've seen now enough positive results that I think um, it's just kind of fueled them. Um, believing in everything we're doing and continuing to lead and um, it's starting to really show with the younger guys because I think they're starting to at least practice better um, where they're starting to practice to the point where um, they're a little more physically talented than our seniors and juniors and so they're starting to beat them in practice pretty consistently um, which I think has really helped us when we get into games because um, our seniors are, are great kids and tough kids but they're not the most physically talented other than probably Miles and so I think that's really helped them prepare for some of these teams in our league that are a little more physically gifted because they're seeing it in practice now every week, every day. So, Coach addressed some guys specifically who've been stepping up for the team. I mean, we've played so many guys this year. I mean, we've played something like 13 or 14 guys in eight or nine games or more. And I think we've started nine separate guys now. So there's a lot of different guys that have had roles at times. But it always kind of comes back to, in basketball, your top two or three players because at the end of the day um, it's kind of a unique sport that way where you play a lot of guys and a lot of guys are on the floor but it really comes down to your best guys and I think Miles Miles and Sam and, and in particular I think those two have really started to kind of understand that we're going to only be as good as those two are and, and as much as everyone else is important at the end of the day we need Miles to be the best defensive player in the league and we need Sam to be one of the best guards in the league and uh, when we've been good lately, I think it's been on, on those two doing those things. So um, it was nice to see Miles. You know, we, we didn't want to have him out. It was it was blood-related. It wasn't anything to do with him playing poorly or, or injury or foul trouble. It was just he had blood and we couldn't get the blood stopped. But the flip side of that was we got him a little more rest than we've ever gotten before. And he came out the second half fresh and having watched the whole first half. Um, and obviously he he was really, really good as a – kind of rested Miles Howard. Well, Coach has Davenport on the schedule up next on Thursday and then Grand Valley this weekend. Coach looked ahead with us. They were the pick to win the league this year. They won the league last year. Um, I would say talent-wise, they're right there with anyone else in the league. Um, I think they, they started out the year not playing their best, and now they've won six in a row. And uh, They're as good a team as we'll play all season, and um, then it doesn't get any easier on Saturday. So I think we have two of what I would say the four best teams in the league right now. We play two of them coming up, both on the road. Obviously, for us to you know, win one, we're going to have to play our absolute best and, and probably defend really well and then make some shots. Coach was asked, does anything surprise you in league play so far? Anything in the GLIAC that's kind of been a surprise to you? If there was something, it would just be the... Um, Differences. It seems like every night you play a different team. Um, a lot of leagues throughout the country, 
they tend to be the same team over and over again. Um, in this league, it seems like one night you play a team that can really shoot, the next night you play a team that's really athletic. Um, they run different stuff on offense, different stuff on defense. Um, so it's been kind of, it's kind of been fun and, and unique challenges, just trying to prepare night in and night out for different opponents that do different things. Um, and I think that's kind of a, a interesting part of our league that it maybe isn't true in other leagues I've been around with, with just the kind of different styles and different personnel that these teams have. So with the two toughies coming up this weekend, Coach was asked, is this a measuring stick for where Northern Michigan men's basketball is as a program? I think obviously if we can, we, we played Ferris uh, very close, and I thought we actually outplayed Ferris. We just didn't shoot great that game. Um, and then we beat Tech at Tech. So now the, of the top teams, that's how we've done in those two now we're going and playing the other two top teams on the road. Um, it'll be an interesting kind of at the end of the weekend to look back and go, can we really consistently play with the top teams or were those just two really good games? Because this will be harder because Tech was a Tech you know rivalry game and then Ferris is at home. So to go have to play them back-to-back on the road, I think it's, a, it's one of those fun, exciting challenges. It's what you want out of playing college basketball or college sports in general. You want to go play the best teams in in a tough situation, and it really is going to be a great opportunity to see um, if we're there where we can compete with teams like that consistently and if we're not, what we need to improve on and, and get better at. That's Northern Michigan men's basketball head coach Matt Mackerzak, his team getting set to take on Davenport and Grand Valley this week. That should do it for our show. I appreciate you being with me. Hope you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. A reminder, if you missed our interview with Eric Holm, former Northern Michigan head football coach, he coached 49ers defensive coordinator Robert Sala in college. And, of course, Robert Sala is going to coach the 49er defense in the upcoming Super Bowl. If you missed that interview, check it out on demand. Get our free mobile app from the Apple iStore or Google Play or look up ESPNUP.com and check it out there. I'm back on tomorrow, same time and place, 4 Eastern, 3 Central. We'll have Hall of Fame baseball to talk about. It is Z-Day in the NBA tomorrow as Zion Williamson makes his professional debut. All that and more coming up on tomorrow's show. Until then, I'm Tanner Hoop signing off from ESPN-UPW. WZM Ishbaming Marquette.